y'all are doing well? If you have a Bible, you can open up to Acts chapter 4. <coughs> we'll be in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Um, just to give you a heads up of what's going on in the church before we get to Acts chapter 4. Um, just a couple things I want to bring you up to speed on. First is the deacons. Um, we had a vote last week and they were all voted in. And so next week we'll do the appointment of, of deacons. Um, that will be the seven deacons uh, serving. Their names were on the uh, on the screen last week. Maybe JC can find them. You can stick them up there uh, in the announcements. You can see the seven that were voted in last week. It'll come up here in a second. Um, <clears throat> also, in addition, which I said that will be the appointment next week. <coughs> Today, um, we are also... Uh, making an announcement that Jack and I have been meeting for at least a strong six months or so with Joe Mueller. Uh, And Joe Mueller is coming up now as a candidate for eldership. And so um, we'll do a vote on Joe becoming an elder pastor here at Remedy uh, in three weeks. So um, that's a little bit longer than deacons. It's a, it's a different position than deacons. Uh, there's two, two biblical positions in the Bible, um, offices, elders, and deacons. And deacons are really just a servant, and elders are the pastors. So um, pastors will mean they, they're no different than me. They're no different than Jack. And so Joe is going to be um, coming up now as a, as a candidate for eldership. Uh, so you have three weeks to think and pray through that. If you have any reason that you think Joe should not be an elder, we want you to come to Jack and us and tell us. And three weeks from today, we will vote on that particular Sunday. Uh, vote him in or not. But I'm assuming we would vote him in, barring no uh, nothing that you would come up and say to Jack and I over the next three weeks. So <clears throat> that would mean in three weeks, provided that vote goes well, that we would go to three pastors here at Remedy, three elders. Um, the way that we want to do elders here at Remedy is always have <clears throat> a majority that are not on staff. That's good um, for me to to have guys that uh, that are part of the elder body, where there's a majority that aren't on staff. That way, they're not beholden to me. They're not, they don't work for me. Uh, we may eventually have staff elders, but uh, it's better to have a majority because then they can just be honest as they want to be, and and I can't do whatever I want. And that's a good thing. It's not good for a pastor to be able to do what he wants. So it's good for him to have accountability around him. So. That's what's going on. Did you get the deacons up? There they are. There's the deacons um, that will be appointed next week as well. So lots of things going on here at Remedy. <clears throat> we wanted to make sure that you knew about those. So uh, we're going to pray, and then we're going to go into Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 1. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to Acts 4, and let me pray together. <coughs> Lord, we thank you for your love and your mercy pray right now for your word to be powerful, your word to do its promised work in our lives. We thank you for this recorded history of the history of the church. We pray that as we see how this church started and operated in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would want those things to be present in our lives, that we would desire for those things to be present in our church. Lord, that you would use us in a mighty way, much like you used these particular (coughs) Christians in the first century. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
So we're going to be in Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 1, all the way through verse 22. Through verse 22. If you've been with us, um, the progression of what's been happening through the book of Acts to where we're getting shouldn't be a surprise. Acts chapter 2, the coming of the Holy Spirit, yields Acts chapter 3, where they're doing healings and explaining why they're doing healings. And so Acts chapter 2 yields Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3 yields Acts chapter 4. So you have Acts chapter 2 with the coming of the Holy Spirit, men filled with the Spirit. The next day they're walking into the temple of the gate called Beautiful. They healed a man who's crippled uh, and explained what's going on. And whenever the work of the Lord is happening, yields Acts chapter 4, opposition, yields persecution, yields people that don't like what's happening, wanting it to stop. And that's where we've gotten here to Acts chapter 4. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he's a Christian um, in Germany during World War II, opposing, opposing Hitler, writes this. He's a believer. He writes, suffering is the badge of the true Christian. The disciple is not above his master, meaning Jesus is the master and he suffered. We are the disciples. Surely we will. Bonhoeffer talking about Luther. Of course, they're both German. Luther reckons suffering among the marks of the church. So the marks of the true church are where the gospel is rightly preached and the sacraments rightly administered. And also, Luther would say, where suffering is happening. He, he, he says that's a mark of a true church. Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ. As it is therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer. Bonhoeffer writes that and obviously uh, killed for his faith, trying to oppose Hitler. So as we look at Acts chapter 4, we're going to see some signs here of opposition and some signs of persecution. Let's, let's start at verse 1. <clears throat> I'm going to read the entire text and then we'll come back to verse 1 and I want you to see some things about the persecuted church. Verse 1, as they were speaking to the people... The priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now remember, uh, in in Acts chapter 3 verses 1 through 10, Peter had just healed the man that was crippled and then they're all like, how did you do this? What's going on? In verses 11 through 26, he gives his second sermon explaining how he did this and how it was because of Christ. You can see specifically in verse 16, in his name, that's Jesus' name, and faith in his name has made this man strong. And then he explains how uh, Christ is Christ is the one that was put forward as the Messiah of God for the sins of all the world. And so there's preaching Christ here. And then you see in Acts chapter 4, the Sadducees come up and it says that they're, they're greatly annoyed in verse 2 because they were teaching the people and proclaiming, in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who <coughs> were of the high priestly family. And when they'd set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or what name did you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, says to them, rulers of the people, this would be the third sermon, third speech of Peter, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this, this man has been healed, 
Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man standing before you as well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what are we going to do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We can't deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let's warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it was right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing who was performed was more than 40 years old. So you've got a situation where Peter and John had healed this man in in chapter 3. He was born crippled from birth. Over 40 years, everyone knew who this was. Everyone knew that this man had been crippled from birth. And whenever that happened, they started proclaiming Christ. And you have the Sadducees not liking that. And they, they're trying to squash it. They're trying to make it stop. So verses 1 through 4, the first thing that we're going to see in verses 1 through 4 regarding the persecuted church is that the gospel of Jesus Christ will face hostility from an unbelieving world. The gospel of Jesus Christ, and this is... This is always, this is going to happen. It will face, you can go ahead and put up number one. The gospel of Jesus Christ will face hostility from an unbelieving world. In verses one and two, you have the Sadducees greatly annoyed because they were proclaiming Christ, uh, in Christ Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. Um, If you know anything about Jewish groups, the Sadducees were the group that did not believe in the resurrection. It's really easy to remember the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection, and that's fair, you see. And the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, and that's sad, you see. Um, uh, That's the way they taught us in seminary to remember it, and it sticks in your head. So, because they were teaching the resurrection, the Sadducees were greatly annoyed at this particular thing. The the Sadducees were the ruling class of of wealthy aristocrats at this time. They had grown in their power mightily in the intertestamental period. That's the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. They had grown in, in power here. And because of that, they were the political leaders of the time. And so their word carried great weight. And so whenever they were greatly annoyed at the preaching of the resurrection, which they didn't believe in, um, they had the ability to get these people arrested. And so automatically the gospel of Jesus Christ is facing hostility. This is something that's going to happen um, continually. In a matter of just a few hours, you have the preaching of the gospel causing all the Christians to start proclaiming the gospel. So in Acts chapter 2, Peter and 120 people get saved or, or get filled with the Holy Spirit. They start proclaiming the gospel. They heal somebody. And then right after that says, and as they were speaking to the people. So this means that it's not just Peter proclaiming the gospel. It's all of those who likely had been saved. And we need to note 
that we're only talking about Christians that have been saved for just a few days. So they didn't have to go to 101 class and get down evangelism uh, books and get, you know, go to Lifeway and buy all this kind of stuff to finally know how to share the gospel. You've got new Christians filled with the Spirit going out right at that particular moment and sharing the gospel, which ought to help you realize that you are able to do that. You don't have to go to 101 class, buy all the books, you know, read all the, all the, all the dead old saints first to know how to be able to do it. You can, right now, actively participate in the mission. These are few days old Christians participate in the mission of God, which means all of us should see that and be challenged. And, and notice the result, by the way, that brand new Christians who don't know all the rules, just know that they're filled by the Spirit. Notice the result. We've already gotten 3,000 saved by Peter preaching. And now, as the group of people are going out telling and proclaiming Christ, it says there in verse 4, you have 5,000 people coming to know Christ. So, new converts sharing the gospel courageously, um, and you have 5,000 people. So, at 5,000 people saved. So, if you will, um, a formula of some sorts is starting to be laid out for us, for us to see people come to know Christ. There's courageous preaching. That's what Peter does, and that's what, um, as the Lord will um, allow, I will, and Jack will, uh, with all of our hearts and all of our souls, try to um, have courageous preaching, fearless preaching um, on Sunday mornings. That's what Peter did in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3. But coupled with that, absolutely essential in the mission is courageous witnessing on behalf of these brand new Christians. The way that we will be most effective as a church in proclaiming and preaching the gospel and reaching our city is not just the preaching of the gospel on Sunday mornings. It's both. It's preaching on Sunday mornings and fearless witnessing. So we want to, as much as we can, have fearless and courageous preaching and fearless and courageous witnessing. That's you doing the work of the church. And when we see that, that's whenever, um, certainly it will happen, there will be there will be hostility facing the preaching of the gospel. But at the same time, there will be, I think, great results. So, <clears throat> as we see this, that just in a matter of weeks, I mean, this is pretty amazing. 5,000 people just got saved here. 3,000 people got saved earlier. So, the church is growing. And in a matter of just a few weeks, the church has grown by a factor of at least six or seven times what it was whenever it first began. The Holy Spirit, and it's coming in chapter 2 and birthing this, this amazing faith in the hearts of these particular people, um, brought about astronomical change. And what normally occurs over long stretches of time, 8,000 people getting saved, occurred in just a matter of weeks. Now, the Holy Spirit hasn't changed. He's still the same. Which means this can still happen now. It really can. I know that sounds crazy to say in a matter of weeks, 8,000 people could get saved, but it could. So let's stop and let's ask ourselves this big picture question. I know that we're going to say yes, but let's ask it anyway. And let's think about why, or I'll say it this way. Let's think about what we can be actively doing to try to bring it about. Do we really want all of Rock Hill, York County, to meet Jesus? Do we really desire to see astronomical figures like 8,000 people get saved in a matter of weeks? I know we're all going to say yes. 
let's do this. Let's covenant with each other. That the elders promise to have courageous, fearless preaching. And that you covenant with us that you will have courageous, fearless witnessing. That coupled together, that we can see these kinds of results. Let's not just say we only want preaching, good preaching and not witnessing. Or let's not just say that we kind of want half-hearted, you know, milk toast preaching with awesome witnessing. Or just both kind of being half-hearted. Right? Let's say together. Let's covenant together with each other. Since we really do want to see these astronomical figures of Rock Hill, York County, seeing 8,000 people get saved in a week. Two weeks. Let's all say, if that's what it takes, I'm willing to do what it takes because of what Christ has done. Remember this. You were saved in order to be sent. You were saved in order to be sent. John 20, 21, as, this is Jesus saying, as the Father has sent me. I mean, think about the power in which the Father has sent Jesus. Think about the love and the mission that the Father would send Jesus. And he says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So with the exact same power, the exact same love, the exact same missional fervor that Christ was sent by the Father, Jesus is sending us. So... You were saved to be sent. Certainly there will be hostility. Certainly there will be opposition. But that just means we're doing it right. That means that we're doing it right. So here they have opposition. The Sadducees are greatly annoyed. They arrest them. They put them in custody for the next day for it was already evening. That already evening, by the way, I don't want to just blow by real fast. I want you to remember that it was 3 p.m. It was 3 p.m. whenever they were walking by this man. That needed to be healed. And now it's already evening. So it's into 6 or 7, 8 p.m., maybe 8-ish. Which means they had a solid four hours or so of proclaiming Christ. All this kind of transpired. But there's at least a good four to five hours of proclaiming Christ. And that's why they're seeing this many people come to know Christ. 5,000 people. Now, um... Whenever opposition comes, whenever there's persecution against us, it's going to give us an opportunity for something. So you'll see this in verse 5. They throw them in jail. In verse 5 it says, On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all of the highly priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired. So they put them right in the middle. So... The, uh, the next day, which means they had to, because of the opposition against them, spend the night in jail. They get their first opportunity to be arrested for Jesus and spend the night in jail. And then it says in verse 7 that they set them right in the midst. So this is a big deal. You've got the, the aristocrats. You've got the upper echelon of the political society very upset at what's going on. They take Peter and John. And they put them right in the middle of them. So they finally have been arrested. And they look at them and they say, what's going on? So this is like whenever you're watching, you know, your favorite TV show. This is the cliffhanger. Like, what are you going to do? And and then you got to wait a week to find out what's going to happen. Like, oh, you know, this is the cliffhanger. And remember, this is Peter who has faced opposition and thus far has been rising to the occasion. But this is, this is pretty big. I mean, this is, 
the arresting authorities, putting him, keeping him overnight and sticking him in, in the middle and saying, what's going on here? What are you doing? They set him right in the midst and they inquired, by what power or what name did you do this? And so here's the point where he's going to either fold like a pool chair or he's going to stand up and say, it's because of Jesus. Well, I think you know, we've already read what's going to happen. So here's the second thing I want you to know about persecution. First of all, we're going to have it. It's going to give us, preaching the gospel is going to give us hostility. Number two, persecution affords us the unique opportunity to point the unbelieving world to their only hope, Jesus. Persecution, opposition, however you want to say it, affords us a unique opportunity to point this unbelieving world to Jesus. Now, notice the question they ask and notice what Peter does. They ask, by what power or what name did you do this? They didn't say, is Jesus the only way for salvation? Because that's where he gets to verse 12. So he answers their question and then preaches the gospel. By what power or what name did you do this? And Peter tells them, filled with the spirit, rulers and peoples, rulers of the people and elders. If we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a cripple man and by what means this man has been healed... Let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, he's already switched up, he's already told him in the name and then didn't even put a period after it. He just, comma, keep going in the same sentence, whom you crucified, already started preaching the gospel. Answered him, preaching the gospel, same sentence. Whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, which by the way, that's a dig. They're Sadducees. Whom God raised from the dead, because there's an afterlife, like dig right in there to the Sadducees. And they're like, all right, that's, that's taking us off a little bit. By him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus, now he's going to quote Psalm 118. He knows they know the scriptures. And he's going to, by quoting Psalm 118, Peter's telling him, because they knew this verse, that by rejecting Jesus, they have rejected the chief cornerstone of the kingdom of God, thereby dooming themselves to eternal death, which they didn't believe that even existed anyway. So in verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And you didn't ask this, but let me just make sure you understand. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And there he um, comes in on the exclusivity of Jesus, that there's, it's not Jesus and other ways that we can be saved. It's not Jesus plus good works. It's not Jesus plus some other prophet. Instead, there's only one way that you can be saved, that you can go to heaven forever, and that's by Jesus. So here in verses 5 through 12, because of the persecution, because of them preaching the gospel and being thrown in jail for the night and being set in the midst in front of the, the elders and the, and the chief priests, that gives Peter, it affords him the unique opportunity to be able to preach the gospel. And remember, that's not what he was asked. He wasn't asked to preach the gospel. He was just asked, what name did you heal this man? And he answers, and he preaches the gospel. We have to, we have to train ourselves whenever we're given opportunities to be able to answer questions intelligently, just like Peter 
is going to tell us later, always be prepared to give an answer, which he does. He gives an answer and then preaches the gospel. We need to train ourselves to do this. Train ourselves to preach the gospel at any moment because we will have unique opportunities, especially in the face of persecution. Now, whenever persecution comes to us, whenever opposition comes to us, there's something that's uh, going to be, as you look through the book of Acts, a repeating theme. It's just going to be a, a, a chorus that will repeat itself throughout the book of Acts. And it's an important one. It's in verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. So the third thing regarding the persecuted church is this. In the face of persecution, being bold is paramount. It means it's absolutely necessary. We have to be bold. Christ has called us to be bold. This is an opportunity for them to be bold in the face of persecution. How can one be bold? How is it? I mean, this is required. This is clearly necessary. If you're going to be persecuted and preach the gospel, you're called to be bold. It says here, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, how is it that we can be bold? I mean, I am not a naturally bold person. What is it that they have uniquely that they have that affords them this ability to be bold. I would say that it's in verse 13. When they saw the boldness of Peter, that it's not that they're, that they're uneducated. <laughs> that they perceived that they were uneducated, come in and they were astonished. Here it, is, here it is. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now, their being with Jesus is different than our being with Jesus. I'll agree. Their being with Jesus was physically walking with him daily and being a part of the three-year ministry. Our being with Jesus is spending with time with him in the word. But the way I would submit to you that we are going to be bold in the face of persecution is that we are daily, as it says, being with Jesus. This is my prayer for Remedy Church that people recognize that we have been with him. Whenever we're around people, they can say, I recognize that you've been around Jesus. I don't want them to recognize more that I like the Gamecocks than Jesus. I don't want them to recognize more that I like fill in the blank on anything, more than I want them to recognize this man really does love Jesus. Sadly, that's not the case all the time. I fall short on that continually. But what I want is that. What I want is for when people see me, they recognize this man has been with Jesus. And that will give all of us the ability to be bold. They were uneducated. Now, you, likely, are much more educated than these particular men. All the more reason to be even more bold. All the more reason to be even more bold. And then you can see, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them. So likely, we're not sure. It's not exactly clear. But likely, this man was in jail with them that night. The commentators are kind of all over the place. Um, Maybe they brought him back. But nevertheless, he's standing there. The proof is right there, so they can't oppose it. But seeing the man who was healed standing with them, 
they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? I would submit that that's the absolute wrong question, by the way. It should be, what shall we do with Jesus? This guy's healed. They're saying it was healed by the name of Jesus. We shouldn't be worried about our position and what are we going to do with this man or these men? We need to ask the big picture question, which is, what shall we do with Jesus? If that's what happened and just because of Jesus, and that's what they're saying, the best question we can be asking is, what are we going to do with Jesus? And maybe that question's confronting you this morning. Maybe you are just like them on the outside trying to figure this out. And Christ has revealed himself to you. As it says in verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name given among men which men must be saved. And that's being confronted you. And you don't need to ask the question, what am I supposed to do with people here at the church? What am I supposed to do with Peter and John? What am I supposed to do with my neighbor? You need to be asking the exact same question. What am I going to do with Jesus? It's out there right now for you. If you don't know Christ, what are you going to do? There's only, there's only two things you can do. Reject him or trust in him. Reject in him and receive eternal death. Trust in him and receive eternal life. What are you going to do with Jesus? These men are going to be bold. For that notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. We cannot deny it. So they, they knew, and this is where it gets astonishing. This is where it gets absolutely astonishing. They knew what they had seen was true and instead of believing in it they just want to squash it which is amazing so this is what they do but in order that it may spread no further among the people let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name we don't want you to talk about Jesus anymore is basically what they're saying so they called the men and charged them not to speak or teach at all here it is in the name of Jesus let us warn them to no more speak of this name. If, you, if you've been paying attention, the word name it just keeps being repeated. You've got in 3.6 that the man is healed in the name of Jesus. In 3.16 it says it's faith in his name that made him strong. In 4.7, what name? They're asking what name did you heal him in? In 4.10 they say we healed him in Jesus' name. And even though you didn't ask this, but let me just go ahead and tell you, not only did we heal him in Jesus' name, but also in his name, no one else gets saved. Their salvation found in no other name. And now they're saying, we don't want you to speak in that name. This is crazy. That there's going to be people that are going to see and know that Jesus Christ is absolutely real. That he is the, sal- the savior of the world. And they're going to reject it anyway. Instead of trusting in Christ, which is made evident to them that he's real, they just want you to stop talking about it. That's the uh, fourth thing here. That's the fourth thing about the persecuted church is that there will be times where persecution or persecutors of Jesus will just be absolutely irrational. I mean, this is just absolutely ridiculous. A man was just healed in Jesus' name. They see it. The evidence is made plain. They know that this man had been... been uh, crippled for 40 years, the smartest, most intelligent, intellectually honest thing that they can do is trust in Jesus. That's the most intellectually honest thing they can do. But that means letting go of power. That means letting go of status. That means not getting their way anymore. That means that he's in control, not me anymore. And they can't do that. And this is absolutely irrational. 
So instead of trusting in Jesus, this is what the Sadducees, the chief priests, should have done. They just say, well, we can't argue. I mean, he's standing right there. So just don't talk about Jesus anymore. This is absolutely irrational. Instead of trusting in Christ, they just tell the people that did a miracle that clearly hold the truth to stop talking about the truth. Now, you, you and I, looking at this, this is very obvious to us. This directive, this direction that they're given is absolutely impossible to obey. It's impossible to obey for a true follower of Christ. Don't talk about Jesus. If someone tells you that, that's an impossible command to obey. Sorry, can't do that. He's Jesus, and you're not. And that's what they're going to say. So, after we see the absolute irrational behavior of the persecutors, they call them in, verse 18, charge them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. I love this answer. This is so good. But Peter and John answer them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. In other words, you who trust in God, what do you think is right? To listen to God or to listen to man? You teachers of God, which one would you do? Would you listen to other people or God? I think you know the answer. Your directive you're given me is absolutely impossible to obey. And this is what they say. Let's, let's corporately, with all of our strength and power and trust in Jesus, adopt verse 20 as the way we're going to live our evangelistic life. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We can't stop talking about Jesus. That's, that's, the, that's the evangelistic um, thing that we should adopt into our lives. Do you feel this way? We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Is this the major theme that dominates your heart and life and mouth? We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Let me ask it this way. What have you in your life seen and heard? What have you seen and heard? What has Jesus done repeatedly where you can say, Jesus did that, it's unbelievable. Christ did this, it's, Christ did this. We all should start with our salvation and then be able to point to his faithfulness all throughout our lives. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So let's, um, this fifth one is not necessarily a, a note of a persecuted church, but it's more of all of us, a challenge to adopt. You've heard of Jonathan Edwards. He has resolutions resolved and he, likely he stuck with them. This is what I want our resolution to be after we've read this, after we've seen the story. Number five, put it up. Resolved. We cannot but speak of Jesus. There is no direction to not talk about Jesus that we will ever obey. As they say, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. We are always going to obey God here. And based on what's happened in our life, being filled with the Spirit, proclaiming the gospel, following Him around for three years and seeing what He's done, being saved by Him, what we have to do is obey Him and what He's told us and what he's told all of us in Matthew 28, 
to go preach the gospel to all the nations. Verse 20 needs to be our life verse. But we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. What does it take in your heart for you to start feeling this way? For you to start thinking this way? And more than anything, for you to start living this out? What is it if you're not joining the mission of God, if you're not realizing that you've been saved to be sent, if you are not proclaiming the gospel, if you're not boldly, fearlessly witnessing to people, what is it that's keeping you from it? These men say, we have to talk about what Jesus has done in our life. We don't have a choice. This is what happens. Verse 21. When they had further threatened them, they let them go. <laughs> we really don't want you to speak in Jesus' name. And we're going to you know, do these things to you if you don't stop. But they've already said, we're not going to stop. It's not going to stop. And they don't stop. And the church just explodes. Threatening them. They let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. I want to key in on, in conclusion, verse 21. They were all praising God for what he had done. He had healed a man. And in the same way, not physically, but spiritually, if you're in Christ, he's healed you. He has brought you from death to life. He has healed you spiritually. Therefore, and same, they are all praising God for being witnesses of a physical healing. All of us corporately should be doing the same thing. We should be praising God for what he's done for us. For the fact that he has healed us spiritually. So we're going to go into a time of worship here. We're going to go into a time of response. And as we think on what he's done for us, I want to challenge you in just a few ways. Number one, I want you to remember that if you are receiving hostility from an unbelieving world for living out your faith, that's normal. That should be expected. If you're not receiving hostility for living out your faith, that's not normal. That's not what should be happening. And as you're receiving this hostility, it's going to afford you unique opportunities, as Peter says, to always be prepared to give an answer, not just to answer their questions, but also to proclaim or preach the gospel to them, to point them straight to Jesus as their only hope, as it says in Acts 4.12, very similarly as it says in John 14.6, on the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except by me. In Acts 4.12, you can see there's no other name given among, given among men under heaven, given among men by which we must be saved. Point them to their only hope, Christ. It's not works. It's not themselves. It's not their family. It's not their job. It's not their car. It's not any of that. The only way that they can have hope, true hope and salvation is in Jesus. And whenever persecution comes, boldness will be required. And when boldness is required, remember verse 13. Remember verse 13. They were recognized because they had been 
with Jesus. Every day is a brand new opportunity for you to spend time with Christ. Every day is a brand new opportunity for you to meet him in his word and revel in the absolute beauties of Christ made manifest to us in the scriptures. Don't forsake that. Be with Christ. Not for the, not for the opportunity that people can look at you and say, oh, I can see you've been around Jesus today. You kind of have an extra glow. No, it's not for others' benefits. It's for your soul. It's for the sake of your soul. It's for the boldness that's required to live out your faith. And when opportunities come, verse 20 is our life verse. And people tell you, don't do that. Don't talk about Jesus. Don't talk about the exclusivity of Jesus. Don't be so narrow-minded with love in our hearts and tears in our eyes. Say, I can't not but talk about him. I have to speak about what he's done. I have to speak about what I've seen and heard in my life. Let's resolve to make that. We cannot but speak of Jesus. These people were praising God for seeing the healing of a man, the physical healing. We have an opportunity right now to praise God for the spiritual healing he's given us. We were wretched. We were sinners. We were outsiders. We were outcasts. We were rebels. We were devil worshipers. We were willingly walking against him. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love to us that even yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And he healed us. He brought us in. And he adopted us into his family. And he forgave our sin. And he cleans us up. And he give us his, gives us his righteousness. And then he sets us out on the mission. And he says there's a whole lot more people that were just like you. Hopeless. Go reach them. Go tell them what I've done. That's reason to celebrate. Let's pray. You're so good to us, God. Even though we're wayward, even though we're fickle, you're so good to us. Change our hearts so that we're less fickle and more bold. Help us see the amazing beauty of Christ, who he truly is, so that we will be with Jesus every day. Persecution arises. Remind us that this is a God-given opportunity to proclaim the gospel, not a chance to cower, but instead a unique opportunity given by you to proclaim the gospel. And as we as a church preach the gospel fearlessly, and as we as a church, the people of God, witness of Christ fearlessly, courageously, I pray that we see results like this. You can do this. You can have 8,000 people get saved in two weeks. Just a wave of your hand and a fresh blow of the Spirit across this land can change this city in a matter of seconds. And God, we're pleading with you to make that happen. 
and even more so pleading with you to let us be a part of it. Bring revival to this city. We beg of you, God. Change the hearts of the people here. And it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You can stand and sing and praise God for what he's done.